Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. As we're standing here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, right outside the ancient city of Capernaum, we are right next door to where Peter's house is. We have the remains of Peter's house, and it's amazing to think of this is this was the center of Jesus's public ministry. This is where so many of the, the great miracles and teachings took place. This was like the, the, the first mini Vatican, if you will, uh, and, and it was uh, the headquarters uh, for, for, P, for Jesus and, and where he worked out of Peter's house uh, and did so many healings here. We read in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 8, about how many people came out and brought all of their sick here. So it's like the first hospital. And, and as I'm standing outside of Peter's house, one of the things I like to think about is the healing that Jesus wants to continue to work in our lives. So if you know of the uh, of sick people in your family and your friends, whether it's physical illness, whether it's a, me- uh, a mental illness, emotional, psychological, um, hurts from people's past, the same Jesus that brought so many healing, that gave sight to the blind, that made the paralyzed walk, he wants to to bring healing into our lives, especially those deep wounds that we fall into all these sins and keep us from walking with the Lord. He wants to heal us of our spiritual paralysis. So we can pray for ourselves and for people there when we're at Peter's house. We can think of the great teachings of Jesus here. He explained the parables here. This is where he would go in and he'd give a parable on the outside and then walk inside and explain the parables to, to his disciples, the meaning of them. So we can think about Jesus' great teachings here. But there's one great scene I want to really think about that has to do with Mary. Do you know all about how Mary came and visited this house once? You often don't see this scene depicted in religious art. We don't have a mystery of the rosary about the scene. And yet, it's a very important scene. It's one that might strike us at first as a little bit odd. We're wondering, what did Jesus mean by that? Why did he treat his mother that way? And yet, if you take a deeper look at it, it's going to shed beautiful light on Mary's role in God's plan of salvation. So let's take a look at the scene. It comes, I'm going to read it from Matthew's perspective. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. It says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood outside asking to speak to him. So his mother and his brethren come and and ask for Jesus. Now, quick note on this point. We read about the brethren of Jesus. Now, from a modern American reading of that, we're thinking, oh, oh, Jesus had brothers and sisters. That means Mary couldn't have been a virgin. Uh, But I think many of you know that the Greek word there, adelphoi, doesn't mean necessarily physical brother or sister. It could be used that way, but it just means extended kin in general. This could refer to an uncle, it could refer to a cousin, it could refer to an aunt, uh, extended family members. That's how this particular word is used. If you want examples of that, you can go to the Old Testament, places like 1 Chronicles 23, 22, or 2 Samuel 29. Uh, my, my favorite example is one that people are a little more familiar with in Genesis 13, 8. Do you remember Abraham's nephew, Lot? Abraham's nephew Lot is described in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used in Jesus' day, the Septuagint. He's described as an Adelphos. An Adelphos. Now we know that, that Lot was not Abraham's physical brother, a sibling. Uh, no, we know that Lot was the, the nephew of Abraham. So very clearly, this word is used in many broad ways uh, beyond just physical brothers. Uh, so uh, Jesus' mother, and think of it as his cousin, his kin, his relatives come, uh, and they want to see him. So that's the story here. They stood outside wanting to speak to him, but he replied to the man who told him, 
But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brethren. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is brother and sister and mother. Now, just does that strike you as a little odd, maybe? A little wondering, what does Jesus mean by that? I mean, imagine we're here on this pilgrimage in Israel. We're here in Capernaum. And all of a sudden, let's say our guide it comes up to us. Adrian comes up and says, Hey, Ted, your mother and, and your brethren are here. And they, they want to see you. And, and, and then you all, you all turn over there and you see there's my mom. And, and there's some of my relatives standing there. And, I, I, and all of a sudden, I look at them. I look at Adrian, the guide, and, and I say, you know, who are my mother and my brethren? And all of a sudden I point to all of you and I say, my mother and brothers and sisters are those who, who do my will and follow my teachings. <laughs> you would think, wow, that was really kind of pushing your mom and your, your family members away. <laughs> that would seem a little harsh, wouldn't it? What does Jesus mean by this? I want you to focus on what Jesus says. Who are the brothers and sisters and, and mother and father, who is going to be part of the spiritual family Jesus is forming? Because that's what this passage is about. Jesus has natural family members. And the Bible tells us that he was obedient to his mother and to his father. Uh, so he has natural family members. But he's also forming now a spiritual family of disciples. And the disciples he's gathering together in the supernatural family are going to be described as brothers and sisters to him. And what's the criteria for being part of this spiritual family of disciples? What's the criteria for being part of this family? It's doing the will of the Father. Doing the will of the Father. And that's how Matthew's gospel describes it. Luke's gospel gives a little more detail. Jesus says, whoever hears my word and does it. So those who hear the word of God and they act on it. So it's the idea of doing God's will. Let me ask you a question. In the Bible, who's the first person in the New Covenant era, the first person in the New Testament to be obedient to God's will? Mary, Mary at the Annunciation. Now, Mary had a cousin who had a chance, right? Zechariah had a chance to be that person, but he, remember in the temple, the angel appears to him and says, you're going to have a child in your old age. And he's like, oh, are you kidding me? I mean, my wife, who's this old? There's no way we're going to have a baby. And he's, he, he's, he's sent on a, a, a nine-month silent retreat as a result of that. Remember that? Zechariah ends up being muted for nine months, you know, so punished for his lack of faith. That same angel, Gabriel, then six months later, appears to Mary of Nazareth and announces to her an important message of an extraordinary pregnancy, even more extraordinary than Zechariah. Zechariah was just having going to have a child in his old age. That's pretty extraordinary. But for Mary, she's going to have a child not through natural human relations, but through the power of the Holy Spirit as a virgin. That's even more demanding. And yet, Mary responds with perfect faith. She says, let it be done unto me according to thy word. So Mary is clearly the first person in the New Testament to respond with faith, obedient to God's word. She hears the will of the Father and she does it. In other words, she meets the criteria that Jesus describes here for what it means to be part of the supernatural family. So far from pushing Mary away, it's gonna, we're going to see this is actually highlighting her role. 
we see it wasn't just though that first fiat. She had to continually renew her fiat. She said yes at the Annunciation. But then at the Annunciation, Gabriel told her about uh, this other baby coming, John the Baptist, from her kinswoman Elizabeth. And Mary shows more faith in that pregnancy, that extraordinary pregnancy from this elderly couple, than Zechariah did. So she goes, picks up and moves, and goes down to, 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 to see Elizabeth in the last trimester of her pregnancy to help her. So we see her having great faith. Elizabeth comes out to greet her in the visitation and Elizabeth acknowledges Mary's great faith. What does she say of Mary? She says, blessed are you for you have believed what was spoken to you from the Lord. So she's singled out as being blessed for having believed. Mary's someone that you see in the nativity scene. She's described as continually to keep and keeping and pondering in her heart the messages of God. Uh, we see that when she goes uh, at, at the wedding at Cana, she trusts the Lord and she sends Jesus to, to begin his public ministry and she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Not only is she wanting to be obedient to God's word, she's wanting to, other, to lead other people to be obedient to her mission, the mission of her son. We see her being faithful all the way up to Calvary and watching her son die on the cross. We see her in Acts the Apostles, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. She remains a part of the community of the disciples. She's there after Jesus ascends into heaven heaven, uh, she is there praying with the disciples in anticipation of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. So from beginning to end, from A to Z, all throughout Mary's life, she stands out not only as the first disciple, not only the first person in the New Covenant era to say yes to Jesus, she, she remains a faithful disciple all throughout her life, continually doing the will of the Father. So when Jesus says, right here in Capernaum, outside of Peter's house, when he says those words, uh, here are my mother and my brethren, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is brother and sister and mother to me. What's he doing? He's, he's exalting Mary. He's saying Mary was in a very honorable, privileged position to be the mother of the Messiah. And that's a wonderful thing. We respect that. But even more important than her role as the physical mother is her great faith, her obedience, her doing the will of the Father. And as a result of that, not only is she a physical kin of Jesus, her, his physical mother, she's also going to be part of the supernatural spiritual family of disciples and not just any member in this spiritual family. She's the first. She's the primary. She's the model disciple in all the New Testament. So, while we're standing outside Peter's uh, house here, let's turn to our Blessed Mother, to Mary, and thank her for that witness of faith. And you know, in the Hail Mary, what we're doing is we're asking Mary to pray for us. And, and at the, the second half of that prayer, when we ask her to pray for us, we say, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. What we're doing is saying, Mary, pray for us. Help us to be obedient disciples like you. Help us to be faithful like you, to say yes to God like you now and all the way up to the hour of our death. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.